And on it goes to Viali. Unbelievable stuff. I would put it right up in my top five all-time matches. Believe me, on the pitch, there was electricity on the air. He was really fired up. One, he got dropped and two, it was Liverpool. It was incredible. It was like, uh, like a party. Welcome to Blue Days, an official Chelsea Football Club podcast remembering the dramatic 96-97 campaign on its 20th anniversary. In our latest episode, the focus turns to one of the greatest games Stamford Bridge has ever seen. By the halfway point of the season, it was apparent that Chelsea would not be capable of mustering a serious title challenge. Rudhulit's side had looked good, very good at times, but consistency was still an issue. Lost leads at home resulting in frustrating draws and the odd setback on the road meant the Blues were hovering around sixth place in the early weeks of 1997, on the cusp of a European spot. The only realistic hope of silverware, then, would be the FA Cup. It hadn't been a competition that had treated Chelsea particularly well historically. The club's solitary triumph had come 27 years earlier, after a replay against Leeds United. Three quarter-final appearances were as good as it had got in the two decades that followed, but things improved in the years leading up to 96-97, with a cup final loss to Man United in 94 and a narrow semi-final defeat to the same opposition two years later. Here's the man to help them in their task, it's Hullet! And Schmeichel denies him, Spencer, good try! And headed off the line by Cantona! Manchester United hold firm against the barrage. Schmeichel stood up initially to Hullet, but Cantona stood in the way of the follow-up effort. Two and a half minutes of stoppage time played. Cole. Jonsson back pass. Another look at the watch from the referee. And Manchester United are in the FA Cup final for the third year in a row. The draw for the third round in 97 pitted Hullet's Blues against mid-table First Division side West Bromwich Albion. It proved as straightforward as the gap between the clubs suggested. Tower, thought about the shot and then tried to play Tesco in. Burgess was the man of the way. Dubry to Zola. Hughes. Wise! Yes! Breakthrough for Chelsea provided by Dennis Wise with six minutes of the first half remaining. Burley's made a run ahead of him and Burley is onside and that is a very cool finish from Craig Burley fitting finish to a fine move Viali shot deflected and back off the post and Zola's there and in the final minute Gianfranco Zola has put a stamp on the victory Chelsea were the 13th team drawn out of the hat the following Monday Arsenal and Leeds were still possibilities, even at that late stage in the draw, but it was the side at the top of the table, and Chelsea's most recent league opposition, who came out next. Liverpool. They were still remembered then as the, the 18 times champion, and it was only going to be a matter of you know, almost weeks before they, they, it happened again. And of course here we are all these years later, and it's still, they're still striving to make it happen. As Martin Tyler alludes to, 
the Anfield side were then the most successful in English football history. It was a plum draw, and the BBC recognised its potential, selecting it as their chosen live broadcast for the fourth round weekend. For Chelsea supporters, the tie brought back glorious memories. Arguably the club's best two results in the competition since the 1970 triumph had come against Liverpool. Trevor Nelson was at the first of those. It's funny because we're at my favourite goal. That I, the second game I ever came to see Chelsea play, we played Liverpool and we beat them. And no one ever beat Liverpool. This is 78. And then Clive Walker scored a brilliant goal. Um, he scored a brilliant goal against Ray Clements and, and I thought we'd never beat Liverpool again. Then, four years later, an even bigger shock. Chelsea were eighth in the old second division. Liverpool, just as in 1978, the reigning European champions. And Lee, and away goes Rhodes Brown. Now, has he got the nerve to hold on? He has! Chelsea ahead! Rhodes Brown, the scorer, his first goal of the season, and it puts the underdogs into the lead. Fillory will take the free kick for Chelsea. Played there for Walker. Can Chelsea find something here? Oh, Pablozzi to the goal! Coligny! Well, they threw that away. And now that's going to take an awful lot of retrieving. The whistle has gone. And Chelsea have won it. Those goals by Rhodes Brown and by Coligny bring an astonishing victory to the second division side. Fifteen years later, there was a greater sense of expectancy, and such was the demand for tickets, Wembley could have been filled. As it was, with the Shed End redevelopment ongoing, there would only be space at the bridge for 28,000 supporters, 10% of those from Liverpool. Then record gate receipts of £575,000 were taken, while a rise in price of the matchday programme, which went up 50p for the day, further boosted the coffers. They all sold out. The visitors headed south atop the Premiership, but in indifferent form, with two wins, three draws and a defeat at Stamford Bridge in their previous six games. That New Year's Day encounter ended 1-0 to Chelsea, who were professional, ruthless and determined to give nothing away, controlling the game out of defence, ceding possession and stifling a potent Liverpool attack. The cup tie that followed could not have proven more different. By the time the fourth round's showpiece fixture kicked off on the Sunday afternoon, the FA Cup had already sprinkled some of its magic dust that weekend. Lowly Wrexham won at West Ham. Coventry were held by conference outfit Woking, whose star performer, goalkeeper Lawrence Batty, was an avid Chelsea fan who would be in the Matthew Harding stand for the Liverpool game the next day. Elsewhere, another non-league side, Hensford, had led at Middlesbrough before losing 3-2. Nottingham Forest went to Newcastle and won. Holders Man United were held by Wimbledon. At Loftus Road, Trevor Sinclair scores an iconic 20-yard bicycle kick that is replayed to this day. Is there a better ground than Stamford Bridge on the big occasion? John Motson asked as the teams entered the pitch, met with balloons, ticker tape and a thunderous roar, as well as advertising hoardings publicising the imminent launch of Channel 5 and the Nintendo 64 games console. Both Hullet and Liverpool boss Roy Evans set their team out in a 3-5-2 formation. For Chelsea, Kevin Hitchcock started in goal. In front of him, from right to left, were Frank St. Clair, 
Frank LeBeouf and Steve Clark. Dan Petrescu and Scott Minto were the wing-backs, with Captain Dennis Wise, Eddie Newton and Roberto Di Matteo occupying the central midfield slots. Up front, Gianluca Vialli began his first game in six weeks, at the expense of Mark Hughes. It was difficult, it was difficult and you know, I don't mind saying that because uh, if you're not used to, to, to be left on the bench then uh, it is a difficult habit to, to adjust to uh, because you know, when you used to be like the star or one of the best players to be put on the side um, hurts, hurts your pride, hurts your, your feelings your personality so and it was also difficult because uh, Rude uh, who was a very influential manager at the club in my opinion didn't have the uh, sensitiveness or the ability to deal with situations like that um, he did it the Dutch way if you if you if you like so there wasn't a lot of talking there wasn't a lot of communication and I didn't know why I was left on the bench so I didn't have a chance to to try to adjust my game and, uh, and convince the manager that I, I had to be on the side. The inclusion of Viali's compatriot Gianfranco Zola meant the two Italian signings started a game together for the very first time. For Liverpool, David James kept goal. Their back three consisted of Bjorn Torg Varme, Dominic Matteo and Mark Wright, with left-back Stiginger Bjornaby sitting deeper, allowing Steve McManaman ahead of him to forage forward at every possible opportunity. Jason McAteer brought balance to the right side with a mix of youth, 23-year-old Jamie Redknapp, and experience, Captain John Barnes, 10 years Redknapp senior, in the middle. Robbie Fowler, who already had 20 goals to his name, and Stan Collymore led the line for Liverpool. Barnes won the coin toss and opted to switch sides so Chelsea wouldn't be attacking the Matthew Harding stand in the second half, as had become the norm. Wise shot into that end early on at the end of a driving run. Di Matteo too tried his luck from range. Matteo worth the shot. Well, James was slightly blinded when he threw back his spot. In the end, it didn't trouble the Liverpool goalkeeper. But it was Liverpool who settled the quicker, and they took the lead with nine minutes played. McAteer's cross. A hush at Stamford Bridges. Liverpool score! It's Fowler! McManaman couldn't get the shot in. Bjornaby fired it in and pure instinct from Robbie Fowler, his 21st goal of the season. Chelsea's high line came close to being exploited on a number of occasions early on, but the offside flag came to the rescue. Instead, it was a mistake of the Blues' own making that gifted Liverpool goal number two. Zola bounces off right. Miscontrol by Newton sets Collymore away. He's got a great chance. Oh, and he takes it beautifully. You cannot make mistakes like that when a top-class striker is on the prowl. The home crowd were disgruntled, the visiting support ecstatic. We shall not be moved, they chanted. It looked for all the world like Viali would get one back when Zola diverted a high ball into his path, but his prodded finish flashed over the bar. Down the other end, Fowler headed over from close range. I thought he was going to end up in the next hotel, Motson chuckled. The frenzied nature of the contest continued as spells of possession proved elusive, particularly for Chelsea in the final third. It should have been game over when McManaman raced clear down the left with ten minutes of the half remaining. Rise the challenge well. Fowler's with him. Will he be greedy? Will he give it to Fowler? He was greedy. And he'll be getting an air bashing from his scouse pal, 
Well, they're very good friends, but there'll be no love lost then. Fowler had made the supporting run. He'd drawn the goalkeeper. All he needed to do was square it for Fowler's second of the game. There'll be a nightmare tonight, co-commentator David Pleat said, that Steve McManaman will have if Chelsea wrests this game from Liverpool's grasp. Tetchiness set in as the half-time whistle approached. Wise, McManaman and Fowler were all booked for some pushing and shoving. LeBerf and Fowler continued their argument into the tunnel once the whistle, met with murmurings of discontent from the home support, had sounded. Hullet had his work cut out. It was funny uh, because uh, what happened, they played also in this 3-5-2 uh, th uh, shape and uh, Barnes was the most vital player. And it was 2-0 down. And uh, I came in the locker room and everybody thought that comes this speech. And I didn't say anything. Just took the newspaper and just read something in the newspaper, and then everybody's looking at me. <laughs> what happens now? And I put it down, and I said, "Okay, we're going to change some things there." So I put uh, Luke up there. We played with three up front. Mark Hughes on. Then I put um, Di Matteo on on Barnes. I said, "You play from him. Don't let him get the ball. And if you have the ball, get over him. He doesn't want to run." And that changed the whole game. We were out of the cup and <laughs> half time when we, and then uh, he he changed tacti uh, tactically changed something uh, for the team and it worked out very well obviously as as everybody knows uh, I had to yeah, I had to like press a bit more on John Barnes and play a bit more forward. Diagonal balls hit in the direction of Dan Petrescu had been a theme of Chelsea's first half attacking. The Romanian remembers how he felt at the break. At halftime, that uh, Ruth came to the dressing room, he said that we are going to win the game. And he was so positive and he's so sure. To be fair, me on the pitch, on the dressing room, I thought, no chance we can win. Because first half only Liverpool played. But uh, Ruth was so sure that we can go and uh, win the game. Frank Sinclair and Eddie Newton vividly recall the tie-defining interval change. I remember coming in at half-time and we were all devastated because we really, you'd, you'd think the game was over at that point. But um, the manager came up with an idea to, to tackle the second half that might get us back into it. We really changed it at half-time, got Sparky back in. And Sparky's way of playing ignited everything, you know. He, you know, he's a very physical specimen and he was and obviously being X-Man United hated Liverpool, so uh, he, was, he was really fired up. One, he got dropped, and two, it was Liverpool. Root, for whatever reason, decided I wasn't, I wasn't in the starting lineup, which I wasn't too happy about, because if, if ever a, a game was made for me, it was a game against Liverpool. I just enjoyed playing against Liverpool. He used to bring out the best, and bigger games were better for me. I always used to be able to get up for a big game. Uh, and yeah, maybe because I was a little bit angry with Root as well, uh, probably use that to be benefit as well. We just needed a little bit of change in momentum, I think that. I always remember, actually, the, they were saying that as the lads were coming in, I, I think I was already in the dressing room and uh, some of the lads were saying, well, a couple that I can't remember who they said it was, a couple of the Liverpool lads were saying, well, I wonder how many we're going to score in the second half. So I do that as well, <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm not happy with these, so uh, we had to do something about it. But not everyone was happy about the change. Left wing-back Scott Minto who had gone close with a deflected long-range strike, was the man sacrificed to pave the way for Hughes's introduction. 
I didn't feel I should have been taken off. You know, Clark, who was a top player, went to left back, but I felt that I still should have stayed at left back and he should have taken someone else off. There's no doubt Mark Hughes needed to come on and they came on and made a big, big difference. But again, it was another reason why I just felt that I wasn't quite given the credit I deserved. Um, that it was the right substitution to come on, but I didn't feel it was the right person to take off. Straight from kickoff, Chelsea's movement was sharper and passing more controlled. Hughes instantly brought a focal point to the attack that had been sorely lacking. Liverpool's defence was pushed deeper. The Stamford Bridge crowd would only have to wait five minutes for hope to be renewed. Hughes, great control, classic Hughes! That is what the man has been renowned for throughout his career. Rock solid control, strength on the turn, and a frightening finish. In trademark Mark Hughes style, he hadn't even had to look where the goal was before drilling his shot inside James. Chelsea's tails were up. There was an added edge to the tackling, a quicker step in search of second balls. Di Matteo had a shot well saved. Ten minutes of the half passed before the visitors showed any attacking intent. It came to nothing. Then, on the hour, a leveller. Petrescu. Hughes. Zola has the space. Oh, wonderful! It's just what you expect when Zola has the ball in that area. A dipping, curling, swerving, Zola spectacular. Hughes had again played a pivotal part. And Zola's smash 20-yard finish symbolised the pace and verve with which Chelsea were playing. It was unstoppable and breathless and beautiful. Don't tell me this game hasn't got quicker, Motson implored of his enraptured viewers. Chelsea's lineup probably most closely resembled a 3-3-1-3 formation, with Zolan Viali drifting wider fuse Hughes and Di Matteo behind them. But really, everyone kept turning up everywhere. No wonder the Liverpool defence lost sight of the rampaging Viali. So, Petrescu, where's that number two share? But he's everywhere, chance for Viali! And he's done it! Viali recalled to the side for the first time since the beginning of December. Scores a goal which changes the whole complexion of a pretty complex game. Having struggled to pin down a place in the team since his high-profile summer move, the goal carried a greater resonance for Viali, whose face was etched with sheer ecstasy as he reeled away in celebration. Stamford Bridge danced and hollered with joy. Clearly, clearly that was the best atmosphere I ever played in a game, that second half at Liverpool, you know, because it was such a big game against such a top side with some top players in it. And uh, we understandably went into that game as underdogs with what Liverpool had done, you know, in past years. Liverpool hadn't thrown away a two-goal lead in 34 years, but there was no coming back from this. Di Matteo nearly added a fourth with a fierce drive that James just about pushed around the post. From the resulting corner, the midfielder then had a volley well stopped. They don't seem to know who to mark, Motson observed. His co-commentator Pleat was even more impressed. It's as near as I've seen to total football in this country, he said. Players are interchanging all over the place. Only Hughes and the three centre-backs have fixed positions. Everyone else is rotating around. 
there's a real continental flavour to it. After recently introduced Liverpool substitute Patrick Berger tugged Viali's shirt wide on the right, Zola swung a free kick into the heart of the six-yard box. Viali's movement was too good. second of the game, and he's back with a vengeance. The camera panned in on a bewildered Mark Wright, hands on hips, staring forlornly into the distance. In 26 exhilarating minutes, Chelsea had completed a quite astonishing turnaround. They didn't know what to do. That's always fun when you see the opposition starts bickering at each other. It's always fun. When Collymore and Petrescu clashed in front of the old West Stand, with time almost up, the Romanian held up four fingers in one hand and two in the other, mimicking something Fowler had done earlier in the game when Liverpool were in control. I should have not done that, but I was too happy to, uh, to stay calm and uh, I didn't expect to, to win that game. The game breezed to its conclusion as a euphoric Stamford Bridge brought out the Olays. Chelsea had passed, dribbled, fought and finished the greatest 45 minutes the majority in the stadium could remember seeing. One of the best cup ties of recent years, Motson concluded, and one of the best ever in Stamford Bridge's storied FA Cup history. They'll be talking about this game for years. He was right. 20 years later, the memories still burn bright for those playing and watching. You know, for me, that was one of the games that stick out, you know, long in the memory of, of my career at the football club. That was a game that I always watch at home in Romania. It was one of the biggest games that uh, I played and we played here in Chelsea. I think to score four goals in 45 minutes against Liverpool was a fantastic uh, achievement. And uh, the way we scored the goals, I think, was great goals. For the modern Chelsea fan, it's one of the most memorable roll-your-sleeves-up games apart from probably the Champions League final. I mean, that's one of the, our favourite performances because it was against Liverpool as well. And I remember the atmosphere at the end of that game was amazing. The only the saddest thing about that game was uh, the shed end, I think it was, was getting rebuilt, which meant there were no fans. So all our goals were scored against a board. With, I can't remember if it was like the Arsenal one with faces on it, but it was, <laughs> just, advertising. It was just advertising. It was a horrible... That just spoiled it. But other than that, you know, what a great comeback. It was a great comeback. When it came to the significance of the result... In the bigger FA Cup picture that season, Clark, Zola and Hullett recalled differing emotions. I think for a lot of Chelsea fans in that game, was was good to see that we could turn that round against one of the so-called bigger clubs and turn around the game like that. And obviously with the Catalans for, for much better things later on. But back then, it was a competition that everybody took seriously and everybody was in it to win it. And you knew, well, I think it was only the fourth round game that we beat them, so you, you, you've still got a long way to go and you, you, you don't start thinking about getting to Wembley and actually playing in the final and until you get to the quarter-final stage. I think that's, that's when you realise that you've only got a couple of games to go and, you, and it might just be your year, but at that stage, I have to be honest, speaking for me personally, was was, was not something that I, I thought, right, that's it, we can go and win this competition now. Just looking forward to the next round. Probably, probably grateful that we've gone through after being in such a, an unpromising position at halftime. The, the old game was absolutely fantastic. For me, it, it, that, that was the game in which I won, I, we won the cup. 
to be honest, I didn't realize how important it was the, the FA Cup and since that moment, since that game. But uh, believe me, on the pitch it was something uh, like uh, something like uh, there was uh, electricity on uh, on the air. But uh, you know, it was something particularly special. We were two 0 down, and then Sparky came on, and he, you know, completely turned the the, the, the game around. And we, we 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 our performance in the second half was something really special. I think in that game I realized that I I had certain qualities to change the game, to 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 understand the game, and what to do on certain occasions. And later on, that helped me also in in other vital games to change, you know, the the game itself. It was Hughes's half-time introduction that proved the biggest talking point after the match. He changed the game, defeated manager Roy Evans said. Instead of defending on the halfway line, he kept forcing us backwards and we were defending on the edge of our box against players of quality. It was probably his defining performance in a Chelsea shirt. Hitchcock remains very close to him to this day. Mark came into to Chelsea and everybody was in awe of him because he was such a fantastic player at Man United. And I can remember we, we played, I can't remember who we played, but we had a meeting and Glenn said, has anybody got anything to say? And Mark started to speak and everybody looked at him to listen to what he's got to say and he looked around and I used to room with him and he came in after, he said, that's the first time I've had a meeting, I've spoken and people listen to me. On the pitch, he was a, a different person, you know, he'd score fantastic goals and he always had this knack of scoring great goals in important times. Off the pitch, really laid back, nice guy, and to room with, nightmare. Nightmare. Untidy, used to make his tea for him, look after him. Mark, we've got a meeting at this time. Mark, dinner this time. Got to wear this, got to wear that. He was all over the place. And we all looked after him. He was, he was, a, he was a special guy. Frank LeBeuf was grateful to call the experienced Welshman his teammate. Well, Marcus is my legend, whatever, <laughs> for the defence. You know, where we were struggling, I was looking for him. Uh, I was talking to him sometimes. When, we, when you get the ball, keep it. And he was very good at it, you know. And uh, so I, he, he gave us the time to get out of, the, of our problems, you know, and go a little bit further up on the pitch. So we were giving him the ball and he was so strong, keeping the ball, putting the ball on the side where everybody was clapping him, they loved that. And, uh, he, was, he, and he was such a nice guy. It was amazing because during the training session, you would never pick him for the game. He could be three yards from the goal and miss the goal like, like my grandmother will score, you know. And, and on Saturday, uh, it was amazing. It was simply amazing. For the next game, a league fixture at White Hart Lane a week later, Hughes came into the team at the expense of two-goal Viali. It was the right decision on that moment. I couldn't help it. And the worst part is, of course, that you knew him very well. But I have to think about the whole team, not about me personal, about everyone. You cannot leave somebody in because everybody knows you know him very well. That would be not very fair to other, the other players. And I had to, I had to uh, treat everybody fair. So I had to do, on that moment, what was best for the team. Yeah, I found it very difficult to understand. Uh, but um, I think that I conducted myself very well. I, I was very upset, very 
to say the way Wisey would say that I was very <laughs> off. <laughs> and uh, but I had to get on with that because uh, I think that you know I've got qualities and faults as a, as a footballer, but I think that one of my main qualities was certainly that I was a very good professional. Despite his exclusion for that game, and indeed many before and afterwards during the 96-97 season, Fiali's contribution to one of the greatest afternoons ever at Stamford Bridge will never be forgotten. It was an intoxicating mix of the best of the British game and the sheen of the Continental, the independent paper reported the next day. And it was not only the foreigners who were skilful, or the British who worked hard. You could not take your eyes off it. The Spice Girls could have streaked across the deserted shed end unnoticed. Hullet's verdict was clear. In the whole of my career, I cannot remember a match quite like that, he said afterwards. He also had words for the fans. I always said that it must be hell for the opposition to play at Stamford Bridge. And they made it hell, by the way, they cheered the team up. And it was, there was a great atmosphere there. I want to thank them on behalf of the team for their support. Such a memorable match, which was emblematic of that team, those players, that manager and Chelsea at that time. One of the most thrilling games I've ever seen. And I, will, I, I, I would put it right up in my top five all-time matches, that 4-2 that game against Liverpool. Next time on Blue Days... What, what a beautiful, a blue day. Dennis Wise picked the ball up on the halfway line and he dribbled past one, went past two, not make the third, went round the defender and then he went round the goalkeeper and he put his foot on the ball, called Robbie over and Robbie tapped it in from the yard. These are the moments that made me the happiest. Then I came down for the dinner, it was going, where, where were you? It's like, it's like making phone calls. Palad just come. It was our moment. Nobody could touch in that, in that moment. Blue Days is a Chelsea Football Club production, written and presented by Rupert Kane and co-produced by Steve King and Rupert Kane.